start through these, these massive programs. It didn't start through a whole bunch of people being trained. It started people being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ and then telling their neighbor, their friend, their co-worker, um, Lydia going down, to, down by the river and doing dye or whatever they, they did and, and telling other ladies about Jesus, this Jesus that she encountered who changed her life. The early church, it spread like wildfire. You know, if you... If you when I, when I was a kid, my dad accidentally started a forest fire. I, I think I've told you this story before. Um, it, it started with one small spark, and it, and it spread. And it spread so fast, you couldn't even discern how it spread. Nobody told that spark to go in and ignite that piece of grass and that other piece of grass, ignite the other one. Um, they were in close contact with each other, and, and that, that spark caught on. We're meant to be like that, like, like sparks, like flames of a fire that are shot out from Jesus that, that just ignite the relationships and people around us. That's how the early church started. But they were, they faced challenges that this letter of Ephesians, we're going through the letter of Ephesians as a church. We're in the fourth, fourth message on Ephesians right now. And we have about 20 more to go or 19 more to go after today. We know from, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that the Ephesians, they face pressures like we do. They face challenges like we do. They had busy schedules. They they probably worked from dusk till uh, from from dawn to dusk. <laughs> you can't work from dusk to dawn because that would have been possible back then without lights. But say so they worked from from dawn to dusk, and they would have had long days that would have been very focused on just meeting their basic needs. They had families to provide for. They would have faced pressures and persecution. They faced challenges and ridicule. They faced very real spiritual persecution as well. We know from, from the letter they faced opposition spiritually. We know from reading the context of the letter they were in marriages that needed to grow. Where they needed to learn how do we treat each other. They needed to learn how do we submit to each other as fellow believers. How do we, how do we submit to each other? How do we relate together as Christians? They, they needed to know all these things too. They needed to grow as disciples. They needed to know how to do these things. They needed to know how to make disciples. They were tempted to laziness and self-focus. If you're reading through Ephesians 5, it's, it's just evident that Paul's trying to encourage them to learn what love looks like. In Ephesians 4, 1, Paul's encouraging them, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which, with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Why is he telling these things? Probably because they were tempted to not bear with one another in love. Just like we're tempted to. Aren't you tempted that way? I can relate to the, the people that this letter is written to. He says, eager to maintain unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because they, were, they had challenges. They had discord potentially. They, they needed to learn what does it look like to relate to each other in peaceful ways, to not give in to gossip and slander and division. They faced temptations to turn back to their old ways of living. They wrestled with anger. You ever wrestle with these things? Anything you can identify with in this list of things that Ephesians wrestled with? They were tempted to fear and unbelief. That's not limited to Sarah. We're all tempted to fear and unbelief, shrinking back, giving up, just giving in to weariness. I'm personally tempted there on a continual basis. Just saying, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. So the Apostle Paul, he writes to them. And the first 14 verses, we've gone through the first 14 verses. He tells them about the reason for the hope that they have. He tells them of the great spiritual blessings that they've received. They've received unlimited blessings. 
In the verses for today, we're going to be reading verses 15 to 23. He prays that they would know the truth about who God is. And why is he doing that? Why does Paul write this lengthy prayer? He wants to know who they are, that they have everything they need in Christ. We learned about that this last week. And now he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them in, in, in knowing what we have. Knowing what we have in Christ. And so he writes to them to encourage them because they were, they were tempted to give up to weariness. They needed to be strengthened. So let's read God's word for us today. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. We need hope this morning, don't we? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy, inerrant, inspired word. God, we need your words to breathe fresh life into us today. We need your words to enlighten us. To open our eyes up to who you are and what we have in you. God, we are often a weary, unbelieving people. We are often in fear. We are often weak. Lord, we are often more aware of our lack. God, we, we want to repent of that self-focus and unbelief. And Lord, we ask that you would show us your immeasurable power this morning. Enlighten us. Show us the, the great power that we have in us who believe by your Holy Spirit. God, give us faith and hope to change in areas of where we've been convicted, Lord. In areas where we've been mired and stuck, I pray that you would, you would remind us that it's your power that unsticks us. It's your power that changes us. It's your power that transforms us. And I pray that we would just be encouraged with fresh faith in what we have in you. In your name I pray. Amen. In these verses, we can see the Apostle Paul's desire for the church. Because these words that we have inspired by the Holy Spirit, we can see in these verses, not just the Apostle Paul's desire for the Ephesian church, but it's really the Holy Spirit's desire for our church as well. God wants to encourage us as a church. We're not just a bunch of individuals gathered here at the Embassy Suites this morning or most often the Marriott. We're, we're not just a bunch of individuals. We are a gathered community, called out people, a church, the, 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 the called out community of Jesus Christ, His body. And we've been brought together to function as a body. 
And I think the main thing that we, we need to see from this text this morning is in order for us to function as a body, we need to know what we have in Christ. That's really the main thing I think the Lord would have for us this morning. We need to know what we have in Christ to function. If we have hope, if we want to have hope for this church, for this local body, for being a part of, of any church, maybe you're visiting, we need to know what we have in Christ. That's why Paul's writing to them. That's why the Holy Spirit's given this to us, to see what we have in Christ. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't feel like I have immeasurable power within me. You know, a large reason for that is often we come Sunday mornings and we've not really prepared our hearts. We've not been thinking about the things of God ahead of time. We've had a busy week where we've been distracted and not focused. We can become dull. We need our eyes enlightened. We can become dull and, and weary. We can, we can fail to see how God is working and been at work in us. Imagine if you suddenly awoke on board a ship. You didn't know where you were, didn't know where you were going. You, you suddenly awoke on board a ship and you were told that you are now a member of a crew. And that this crew, we're on a mission and you're part of that mission. And you, you're like, what? Did, did I have amnesia? What happened? Was I teleported? What, what's going on here? I, and you're trying to make sense of things and it takes you a little while to get your bearings. It may take time to be able to function. And if you had any ho- hope of functioning as a healthy member of that crew that you've been placed into and carrying out your mission, you'd need to know some things, wouldn't you? You'd need to understand some things. you need to know who's on board the ship with you, what your capabilities were, what the crew could do, what they've done in the past. You'd, you'd need to know who was in charge. You would want to know what missions the crew had been on before and had they been successful. If you're going to function effectively as a crew member... When you become a Christian, it, it's not like you have prior experience as a Christian. The, the people that Paul's writing to, many of them are new believers. Some of them had been believers for a while, but didn't understand what they had in Christ. And so Paul is writing to encourage them of who they are and what they had in Christ. Maybe you feel like you've been placed in the middle of this crew of people and you're, you're still trying to make sense of what, what am I really called to do? Um, how do I know that we can do that? And what does that look like to do those things? And um, how can I have hope to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Paul knew the Ephesians needed to be instructed. They needed to know how to become a part of the body. They need to understand what they have and who they were in order to function and carry out the God-given mission. We need the same thing too. It's critical. They needed to see that God was at work in them. When he's praying, why does he write down his prayer? It's because it's instructive. He wants them to see where his hope lies because he wants them to have hope in the same place. That's the effect it's meant to have on us as well. He, the Holy Spirit wants us to see where, where real hope lies so that we too can have hope. And what's one of the first things he does in verse 15 and 16? You look down your Bibles just for a moment. It's critical. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Why is he doing that? He was drawing attention to the fact that God was at work in them. He's drawing attention to the fact that God was at work in them in order for them to have hope to change. And I believe that's really true for us today as well. We need to focus more on where is God at work in us if we're going to have a hope to change. The first point we're going to look at is we need to see that God, we need to hear that God, we didn't know that God is at work in us. Why is Paul thankful? What is, what is Paul thankful for that ignites prayers of praise? 
He's thankful for the fact that God has already been at work in them. Why? Why is he thankful for that? Because he knows that that's, that's a work of the Lord in them. And so that gives him a hope that the Lord will continue to be at work in them. How did the Ephesian church grow? What's he excited about? He, is he excited because they've grown large numerically? You don't see that in this letter. Is, is he excited because the church developed lots of programs and they're more impressive than the other neighboring churches? No, that's, that's not what you see in this letter either. What does he commend him for at the opening? Does he say, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm thanking God that you're the fastest growing church in town. You know, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so grateful to God that this church is the best known, most popular, most influential, hippest, most culturally relevant church around. I'm so excited about those things. No, he doesn't do that at all. Those, those can be good. They can be good. He said, doesn't say, I'm, I'm so stoked that you've got the best band in, in all of Asia Minor. That's really awesome. I thank God for your band. It's cool. And we do thank God for our band. But that's not what he's most excited about. What's most impressive to Paul is their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. Paul praised what he saw and he praised the things that were most encouraging, that would encourage the church to grow and continue in as well. And the love and faith that these Christians had, they were clear evidences that God had been mightily at work in them. If you are evaluating this church or your local church somewhere else or any church, I'd encourage you, evaluate it the ways that we see in Scripture. Is there love for all the saints? Is there faith in the Lord Jesus? If so, there's hope for that church. There's hope for this church. If so, that should encourage us. That should give us strength to say, God is at work in us and he's going to do wonderful things because why? People don't love people on their own. People don't have faith in Jesus on their own. This is a mighty work of God. Why is this not impressive to us? It's because we can become dull. We can evaluate things at times wrongly. We can, we can fail to see where God's at work. And Paul is reorienting their vision. He's pointing them back to say, I want you to have confidence and hope. Why? God's mightily at work in you. We need to be seeking that, that same vision that Paul had to seek, to look, to see where is the Lord at work. And also spur us on, are we loving the saints more and more? Are, do we have faith in Jesus personally? Where do we see the faith of, uh, in others of Jesus happening in other people's lives? It's, these are some of the best measures of a healthy church where people are growing in their faith in Jesus and demonstrating their love for one another. That's how Paul evaluates them. That's what he praises them the most for. We have a lot of areas to grow in as a church, and, and um, we're, we're aware of a lot of these areas, and we don't want to lose sight of those things. And, but we also don't want to lose sight of what's, where God has been at work Church, it is so good to see that there are so many people who are encouraged and growing in their faith in Jesus. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that, that I look out and I see a church full of people who are loving and excelling, loving in one another. Can we grow in that area? Sure, but this means that God is at work. And Paul wanted to point their gaze to that fact that God's at work. Don't discount that. That's exciting. That's a good sign of, of maturity. Paul thanks God for them on a regular basis because God's the one who did the work. And far from making them proud, far from making us proud, seeing where God has changed us, it, it should make us humble, but it should also give us faith 
That's the result I want that to have this morning is that we need to see God's at work in us and give us fresh faith that God will continue to be at work mightily even when you don't feel like it. And let's face it, most of us on a daily basis, when you came in this morning, maybe when you heard this passage read, you feel like, I don't feel like there's mighty power working within me. Why is that? It's because we're dull. We're dull. We, we, we fail to see where God's at work. And so Paul's reorienting their gaze back to where God's at work because he doesn't want them to be dull. And so he prays in verse 17. He continues on and he prays um, that the Lord of our God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. They needed to have their eyes of their heart enlightened. We need that as well. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Why does he pray this? He prays this because they need to be enlightened to what they have. They've forgotten. They don't know what they have in Christ. So the second thing we're going to look at from this passage is that we need to be enlightened to what we have. Because we're dull. Because our eyes are glazed over. Paul's prayer is that God, the same God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of all glory, he prays that he might give them the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Let that be our prayer as well. Will we not pray for things that are of lesser importance? Say, pray, God, I pray that you would give me a spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of you. God, I've, I've, I don't know you and I want to know you better. God, I need the eyes of my heart enlightened because I need to know what's that hope. Lord, I become dull. I become weary. Lord, I need, I need to, hope, to know the hope that you've called me to. What are the riches of the inheritance in the saints? So Paul prays that he'd understand. They'd understand that. He doesn't want the Ephesians to become complacent and take their spiritual blessings for granted. He wants them to really know the fullness of what God has given to us and to know God personally and closely. Is that true for us as well? Do we know God personally? Do we know Him closely? God wants to reveal Himself to each and every one of us here. He wants to give us the revelation and the knowledge of Him. And there's great hope for that because God's been at work. It's a sign that He is going to be at work in us and that He's He's not unwilling to give us of Himself. But we're prone to looking at ourselves and our abilities or our inabilities at times too. We're prone to not seeing God. We're prone to losing our sight. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians. That's why we need this passage today. We're prone to losing our sight. We're prone to becoming dim in our sight. My aunt, Aunt Susie, used to have a dog that everybody loved. This dog was, I think, probably the best dog I've ever seen. It was, it was like the perfectly trained dog. It was a wonderful dog. Not only was it cute, it wasn't overbearing, it was obnoxious, it was obedient. Um, it didn't get in your way, but it was there when you wanted it. And it was, it was like the perfect dog. And the dog was, was so, I remember being impressed the first time I went over there to see their cool dog, Maggie. And um, we were down in the basement with my uncle. And um, my uncle was sitting down there. He's like, Maggie, go upstairs, give me a drink, and come back down. I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? I thought he was pulling my leg. So the dog goes upstairs, opens the fridge door, and they had a little rack where the drinks are in the bottom and the thing, pulled the drink out, shut the door, and came back down with a drink. And that, that was a, a pretty amazing dog. Um, I, I, I mean, training my kids to do that is, is a feat. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but when the dog got older, the dog couldn't see well anymore. 
cataracts had developed in her eyes and made her eyes look hazy and dull and like there was some kind of film over there permanently. And um, the dog, sadly, you're going to say, oh, in a moment, the dog would bump into things. Oh, okay, come on. I mean, that's sad. The dog bumping into the wall and things like that. The dog would go up to the fridge and bump into the door instead of being able to open it kind of thing. Um, the, the, her, her eyesight became dull. They were covered over with this like opaque lens and she needed her dull eyes to be enlightened. They, she, she couldn't see anymore and she couldn't do the things she used to be able to, de- to do. And, you know, sometimes, now I'm not saying we're dogs, maybe some of us are, but um, we, our eyes can become like that spiritually dull where once we were able to do much for the Lord, once we were excited for the things of God, once we were able to carry out God's commands and, and, and do the things He was calling us to do, um, we can become dull. Our vision can become dull and we feel like we're stumbling along the way. We need our hearts to be enlightened. And here's the good news. God wants to enlighten us. We're dull. We become dull. We can't see well. We stumble through things, missing the hope that God has for us. That was true of every Christian at some point. And Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. That's our prayer this morning as well, that our eyes would be enlightened to see what we have in God. And what's the other thing we're going to focus on? The third thing we can see is that we have hope and riches. We have hope and riches. We need to have our hearts enlightened so that we can see that we have hope in Him, that we have riches in Him. We need to know that we have a hope that He has called us to. Why does that give us hope? He says He wants us to have the hope to which He has called you. What does that mean? It means that the very basis for our hope is the fact that God has transformed us. God has been the one to call us. And because God has called us with an irresistible call when we weren't looking... He's, he made us alive when we were dead in sins. Because of that irresistible call of God that should give us hope. That that irresistible God is still at work within us in an irresistible way. And He wants to enlighten our eyes to see the hope that we have in Him. He wants us to see the riches that we have in Him. And He prays that they might know the, well, the riches of His glorious inheritance. Notice the wording there. He doesn't say the riches of your glorious inheritance. It says the riches of His glorious inheritance. What does that mean? That means that he has made us his possession is what it's saying. We're God's inheritance. God places so much value on us because we are in Christ that he sees us as an inheritance. Does that blow your mind? We're, we're precious to God. We're precious to God. He, Paul wants them to understand the extraordinary value that God places on them in Christ. God counts, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, God counts you as in Christ now. What does that mean? You're His glorious inheritance. What does that mean? Well, He values His Son. And because you're in His Son, He values us as His Son. That's, that's mind-blowing. Do you think that God wants to withhold any good thing from you? You're His glorious inheritance. He he sees you as in Christ. He values you as He values His Son. That should give you hope that you can see that God wants to give you all the riches that He wants to give His own Son. There's no lack of desire in God. Then Paul spends a greater part of the passage letting them know really that I think the main thrust of the passage is the fourth point we're going to look at but it's really where we spend most of our time this morning is that we have immeasurable power we have immeasurable power 
Look in verse 19. It says, He wants us to know, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might. We need to know that there is a measurable power available to us on the day in, day out, when we face all those challenges and fears and weakness and and we're dull and we're weary and we just don't feel like reaching out to anybody. We don't feel like pursuing growth. We don't feel like making disciples. When we feel like we're unable to do those things, we need to know we have a measurable power available to all of us who believe. And here's the other part of it. The greatness of his power, it doesn't depend on our ability. Look at the second part of this. It says, according to the working of His great might. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't feel like, oh God, I can't generate this, this faith in you. According to the working of His great might, you have a measurable power available to you whether you know it or not. What we are in need of is to have our hearts enlightened so we can see we have a measurable power. Many of those in the church in the area around the Ephesus, they'd likely come out of magical, mystical cults and participated in the works of darkness prior to becoming Christians. And there was a pervasive fear in, in that area. If you read through um, literature of that time, there was pervasive fear in the culture, a fear of hostile spiritual powers. We, we lived in, in Vancouver, and I remember taking a trip out to an area, Tofino, on the west coast of Vancouver Island. In that area, a lot of people practice witchcraft. And so a lot of people who aren't Christians and they aren't in witchcraft, they get they get kind of they're fearful. They live in this this fearful state. And they're like, oh, there's they're witches or whatever. And 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 the Ephesians were tempted to fall into fear of hostile spiritual powers. They needed to see that God's power is greater. They needed to see that God works on behalf of all those who believe. They need to know that God is all powerful. They needed to know, just like we need to know. That God is all-powerful. And we also need to know His mighty working was not according to our own belief. We believe. And He's the one. He's the one who gives us the immeasurable greatness of His power according to the working of His great might. It's just towards those who believe, but it's not our belief who gets that great might. The belief doesn't cultivate the great might that He has for us. It's because we believe that He is already at work in us. And He's going to give us His great might, His immeasurable power. They needed to have the eyes of their heart enlightened. Maybe this morning you're thinking, I don't feel very powerful at all. You ever feel that way? You ever feel impotent, weak, just unable? We don't feel like this power is at work in us. We're dull. We lack faith in His power to change us. We lack faith in our ability to go and make disciples. We see weakness, we see inability, we see that we keep sinning. We feel powerless at times to, to stop. We need to know the immeasurable greatness of His power. When you feel like you can't stop sinning in an area, when you feel like you just can't control your anger, we need to know, is there a power that can enable me to stop? Maybe that's you. Maybe, that, maybe you find yourself, I'm consistently struggling with anger and I don't feel like I can stop it. Is there a power that can help me stop this because I feel so hopeless right now? Maybe you find yourself asking a question like this. Maybe you're asking, is there power that can break the hold of lust that that has on me? Enable me to say no, I don't feel like I can stop lusting. Maybe maybe you're asking, is there power that can enable me to overcome this, this chronic sin of laziness? I know I'm lazy and I don't want to be, but I just don't seem to be able to do the things that I know I should do, even though I, I, I know what to do and I want to do them. I just I feel like I can't. 
Maybe you're thinking, is there power to overcome my selfishness, my self-focus? Oh, man, I'm so fed up with myself. I just I see that I'm just so self-aware and I want to be able to stop it and stop being so self-centered. And I, I'm frustrated. I, whenever I try not to, it ends up being more thoughts of me. Is there power that can deliver me from this? Maybe you're thinking, is there a power that can enable me to be kind and patient to the people God's placed in my life? I want to be, but I'm a jerk. We need to know, will I ever be able to change? Will I ever be able to start to see that God's really at work instead of always focusing on what's wrong? Maybe you're, you're wired so that you're, you're aware of more what's wrong in your relationships around you, in your home, in your in the church, in your neighborhood, whatever. Maybe you're, you know, you were given to just always sing what needs to be improved. God wants to show you that He has power to deliver you from that. Will I ever be able to stop gossiping and slandering others? I want to help people, but I seem to get sucked into listening to gossip and I, and I feel trapped. Will there be power to deliver me from this? Will I ever be able to stop hating and love like Jesus? I don't feel like I can love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Is there some power that will enable me to do that because I don't feel like I can? You ever find yourself in any of these places? When you find yourself asking questions like these and thinking, can we really trust, can we really believe that God's grace is able to change all of my sinful habits, my thoughts, my actions, my speech? They seem so powerful, so ingrained, so daunting. We need to know there's help and hope that's bigger than us. Paul's saying, yeah, there, there's power that is immeasurably great. And, and what you need is not some secret. What you need is to have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you have this power within you already. And stop relying on your own power. You see, God's power is effective for all who believe without exception. For all who believe, without exception, His power is in every believer. Immeasurable power. You know, sometimes we fail to see God's immeasurable power in us because we don't see just how powerful sin is. And if you realize how powerful sin is and it's impossible to defeat sin on your own, and if you have any area where you stop sinning, that's immeasurable power of God at work in you. If you were dead in sins and now you even want to stop, that's the immeasurable power of God working within you. God wants the Ephesians to know, He wants us to know that His power is able to make us into loving and kind and compassionate and gracious people who trust and rely upon Him. And so the Apostle Paul reminds them of some of the ways that prove that God's immeasurable power is great. First thing he tells them, look in verse 20. He says that God's power is seen in the resurrection of Jesus. That says His power is seen that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Don't become too familiar with the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. I've never seen a dead man come back to life after three days. There's only one dead man who was raised... To life like this. Now, Jesus raised Lazarus to life again. And God raised Jesus to life again, proving that his sacrifice was acceptable. But here's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus. Lazarus died again. Jesus never died. There's only one man like that. 
That's immeasurably great power. Who has power over death? Who has power to make alive forever? God has immeasurably great power. Do you see the power of God at work in Christ? He has power over life and death. When you feel like you're not able to change, when you feel dead inside, He's the one whose same resurrection power lies within you. He's able to make you alive. We aren't powerful in ourselves. We have power of God within us to work in us even when we aren't aware and we don't see it. Imagine that you have a normal a car that has a normal combustion engine. And so somebody secretly comes and takes your car and they take out that normal combustion engine and they replace it with a nuclear engine. And now it has, and let's imagine it's a safe nuclear engine for all those fearful people out there, okay? So it's, it's very contained and it's a very safe engine, okay? So you're not wandering, oh my gosh, I'll be terrifying! So you have this, this completely safe nuclear engine now in your car under the hood. And you, you realize that your car's on E. You're like, oh my goodness. And then you see your friend and they say, hey, don't worry about it. You never have to fill up again. You have this unlimited source of power inside of your car. Now, it would affect how you drove your car. It would affect the fact that you never have to worry or think about where do you, where do you get the refueling from? How does that happen? You might not see the power under the hood, but it would definitely bring you confidence. You'd never run out of gas on a long trip once you know the power's there. We can have confidence that God has given us a new heart. He's given us His Holy Spirit. You don't see the Holy Spirit within you. But He's given us a Holy Spirit, and it's better than any nuclear engine, really. He's given us the Holy Spirit to make every cell of our bodies alive. He's, he's given us a Spirit to transform us, to renew us, to, very, to change the very essence of who we are. So when we're on this, this long trip of life, whether we're going through the mountains or hills or valleys or desert of life, wherever we're driving through at the moment, we can remember that God's power as it work within us, enabling us even when we don't see it there, even when we don't understand how it works. Romans 8 tells us that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in in you we have the same holy spirit at work within us the same powerful spirit that raised jesus from the dead and he has power not over life and death but over our sin as well we need to see what we have in jesus christ verse 21 tells us he has full authority of the father he's far above every rule and authority and power and dominion far above every nameless name not every in this age but in the one to come what he's saying is nobody else has power like god Nobody else has authority like this. No one else has been given authority. And that authority has been given to us in Christ. In Christ! He's been given the name above every name. And He's placed His name on us. The Ephesians need to know this because they'd be tempted to fear the authority of the Roman emperor. They'd be tempted to, to fear the, the power of his armies. They'd be tempted to fear the power of the devil and demons. Maybe you're caught up fearing spiritual things darkness around but jesus has power over every demonic force there's no spiritual being no name no thing there's power over him he's far above every rule and authority name and power and dominion all angelic beings whatever power whatever hierarchy there is in the universe those spiritual things that we don't understand he's the ultimate power he's the ultimate power and the fifth thing that we're going to see in the last couple minutes here is that we have a head in verse 22 says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church. We have a head, and by the way, we're a body. We're a church. All things are in subjection to Jesus. That's what it means when it says that God put all things under His feet. 
I grew up in Virginia and the Virginia seal, the Virginia state flag, it has a picture on the flag. It's, it's kind of simple. It's this round laurel wreath and in the middle is a picture of Lady Virtue and she's standing with a sword in one hand and a spear in the other and then she has her foot on, on a tyrant who is lying sprawled on the ground and his crown is cast aside and it's a very vivid picture. Every school child sees it to go into school and like, whoa, what's that all about? And, and they see that she's lying dead on the, this, this, this tyrant's lying dead on the ground and, and Lady Virtue standing over him and the time it symbolized Great Britain, but now it just symbolizes all tyrants. And the motto says, Six Semper Tyrannus. And um, for those of us, who, including me, who don't speak Latin, it means thus always to tyrants. Thus always to tyrants. And the message is clear. When somebody is under somebody else's foot, they've been subdued. They've been put under. They've been, they've been put aside. They can't stand anymore. They've been vanquished. It's, it, it symbolizes a, a complete domination. When it says that God has put all things under Jesus' feet, it's that picture we're meant to have in our head. He's subdued the tyrant. He's defeated death. He's defeated hell. He's defeated the greatest enemy we have in sin. He's defeated the grave so that there's no more sting in death because there's no punishment for sin. Jesus has fully put down every opposition. God's put all things under His feet. No time to read you, but Philippians 2.11 talks about every knee will bow. Whether voluntary or involuntary, every knee is going to bow before Jesus. And meanwhile, all things are under his feet. Everything is in lesser authority to Jesus. Why is that important for us to know? Because we need to know what we have in Jesus. Because God sees us in Christ. He's given us all these spiritual blessings. He's given us all these things. He's given us the ability to overcome sin in Christ. He's given us the ability to change to overcome our great fears, to make disciples, to do the things that we, we know we should do, but we feel like we're unable to do, whether you feel it or not, you have a measurably great power available to you in Christ Jesus. And He is our head. He's our leader. He's the one directing us. He's the one who is um, showing us the way, what the head does. His rule and reign is for the benefit of the church. He's given all things to Christ as the head of the church. That's astounding. He loves us, his body, this church, this local church so much. He's given everything to Christ for this local church, for his church, universal as well. No power is withheld from Jesus. He loved us so much he died for us. There's nothing he can't do and won't do for us if it's the best thing for us. Now, here's the thing we have to trust in. Sometimes we don't get our way. We have to understand, well, that's, that's not because Jesus lacks any power. It's because he knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us and is able to do that. So that means that we can trust him when we don't get the things we want because we know that he's going to do the things that are best for us. Let's pray.